It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? There's an HOA in the neighborhood, an HOA for us neighbors. From time to time, they keep us in line. I have always wanted to live in a neighborhood. It's true, with Francisco's guidelines too. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Let's see what the association has to say. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Well, Mr. Rogers is having a little issue with his wardrobe here today. My hair's a little disheveled as well. <laughs> the shower head is a little strong. It's good to be with you today. I'm happy to, to enjoy this day with you. Do you know what this is? It's really fun to do that with your fingers. You can do that too. It makes a circle. It also makes a number. You know what number that is? It's the number zero, which is the number of letters that I received from the HOA this week, for which I'm very excited. No letters with concerns about the color of my home being just a fraction of a shade off what it's supposed to be. No phone calls about my little Shih Tzu running around unleashed in the parks in our community. No one knocking on the door because of concerns with leaves that are blowing around in my front yard or weeds that are growing. <laughs> Looks like we have someone to visit with us. Let's go see who our visitor is today. Good morning, neighbor. Oh, look everybody. It's Mr. McFeely, the speedy delivery guy. Good morning, so neighbors. So glad to have you with us today. It's good to see you. How are you, neighbor? I'm doing just dandy. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. So don't you have a... I come in with a song. Don't you have a song? That you... you know I do. Yes. But since it's a speedy delivery, it's a fast song. So see if you can keep up with me. Are you ready? I will try. Is there anything you want? Is there anything you need? McFeely's delivery brings it to you here with speed. Yes, our speedy delivery, our speedy delivery is here to refer you or you. Nice, such terrific song. And I have a very special speedy delivery for you today, neighbor. Yes. Who's it from? Well, that is from your very good friends at the HOA. Yeah, of course it is. They send me a lot of letters, don't they? They really do. They must love you a lot. Yes, I'm quite sure that they do. Isn't it special that we can send letters to people we care about? You know, maybe you should write a nice letter back to your HOA, showing them how much you care. Hmm. There's a lot of things I'd like to say to the HOA. Well, you know, when there's someone you really love, one thing you can do is write to them in code. 
Yes, a secret code. My wife and I, we do this sometimes. We'll use numbers to represent letters. So for example, one, four, three, which one stands for I, and the four stands for L-O-V-E, love, and the three is Y-O-U, you, one, four, three, I love you. That's a great way to send a message. It is. Do you think you would like to send a coded message to your special friends at the HOA? I bet they'd like that. Yes, I'm gonna try to do that. Have you ever written a letter in code? It's so special, isn't it? Then, if someone else sees the letter who's not supposed to, they have no idea what you're saying. But the person who receives it, well, they know exactly how you feel. Well, are you all ready? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Is it okay if I look at this letter too? Absolutely, yes. Oh, you use the code. That's so special. You must L-O-V-E them a lot because there's a lot of four-letter words here. <laughs> I've been looking forward to telling them how I really feel. Well, I know that they are really going to appreciate this letter. And I better get it to them really quick for my speedy delivery. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Bye, neighbors. Bye, Mr. McFeely. Well, there goes my zero-letter week. Well, let's see what the HOA wants to complain about this time. Dear Mr. Rogers, this letter is in regard to your front lawn. Big surprise. We would like to congratulate you for being selected Yard of the Month in Lakewood. Thank you for being such a great neighbor. Respectfully yours, Mr. McNasty. Isn't that special? I feel so great that they would honor me with this. You know, it almost makes me feel a little bit guilty for all the things that I... My letter. Uh, I need to go find Mr. McFeely. Uh, good day, uh, neighbors. Have a good... Mr. McFeely! Mr. McFeely! It's good to be with you today. Uh, my name's uh, Mr. Fuller, and we are in a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And we are looking at the command of Jesus that is a very important command for all of us in the uh, communities and in the lives that we live, this idea of love your neighbor as yourself. I made a, a, a realization this morning as I was getting ready for church um, and I said to my wife, I said, should it be a concern to me that when I look at my closet, that there's a lot of clothes that would pass for Mr. Rogers? And she just looked at me and smiled. That's one of those times where a wife is just supposed to smile. You're not supposed to say anything, just smile. Just, just, just smile. Now, before we get into the message, uh, the neighbor uh, content, uh, et cetera, here this morning, I wanna celebrate this time of year that this is a season where we celebrate transitions and uh, we really you know, like to focus on those who are coming out of high school and entering into adulthood. And we got to uh, 
uh, host the Horizon School uh, graduation here in this room uh, this week. And so it was a tremendous uh, uh, gathering for them. It was the first time they were able to do their graduation in here. We love being a good neighbor with them. So congratulations to any to any Horizon graduates and their families. And so we had a great time with that here this week. And then uh, prior to that, we had a celebration with other graduates who were a part of our church. And there was about 20 of them that we celebrated as a part of Student Union. And uh, here's a picture of uh, the group that gathered. So congratulations to these young men and women and their families. I know uh, a number of those here. I traveled to, I got to travel to a number of their graduation parties and uh, it's a great group of uh, people. And so I'm excited to, that Mountain Park has been a part of their journey and to see how God is going to use them to continue to use them in, in God's story. So uh, I just love celebrating that with, uh, with these young people and with, uh, with you families. So good stuff. So on with the, uh, with the series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? What I've been doing is actually giving you a, an assignment from week to week and inviting you, challenging you to be a part of the series, to truly make this series be an active part of your week. And some of you are going, oh, yeah, right, I forgot. But uh, week one, the challenge a couple weeks ago was to learn some neighbors' names. We can't love our neighbors if we don't know their names. And so uh, hopefully in the last couple weeks, you have been gathering some of that information to just ask names and then triggering it, writing it down so that you can have either a file on your computer or on your phone or just a white piece of paper or up on a whiteboard in your home where you just say, this is my neighborhood, their names, their kids' names, uh, information about our neighbors. It's a great, easy way to start loving our neighbors. Then last week, was the, the assignment was then to pray for them by name. And hopefully some of you had an opportunity to do that this week, either just sitting in your living room and looking out or going for a little walk, that what happens is it can affect our response to our neighbors. It affects how we think about our neighbors. Those neighbors that you're struggling with, that you, that you kind of sneer at in the community, after you've prayed for somebody, it changes your response to them. And so the invitation uh, was for you to pray for them by name. Hopefully some of you have had a chance to do that. Whether you have or not, I want to take a few moments here today for us to pray for our neighbors. And so I invite you to, uh, I'm going to have a moment of silence, and I invite you to take that time to pray for your neighbors. If this is not a a common thing for you to do something like this or you're still trying to figure out what this whole Jesus thing is all about, I just ask you to, to think positive thoughts, to lift up your neighbors here in these next few moments at a time of silence and pray that God would bless them. So would you bow your heads with me? I will set it up and then give us a moment of silence to pray for our neighbors. Father, I thank you for the neighbors that you've provided us with. And uh, right now, we want to set aside some time to continue praying for them or to start praying for them, these people that you love so much.
Father, I'm just so thankful for this moment that here in this room, prayers are going up, representing communities all around this area and that people that you know and love are being focused on, are being addressed to you, brought up to you in, in huge ways because of what we are praying here in this room. So God, I pray for your will and the supernatural moment that happens here when we lift one another up. God, that our community, our city would be changed because we're loving our neighbors. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for doing that with me. Um, I hope that continues to be a part of your journey uh, throughout this series and beyond is that we would pray for and love our neighbors. What we're doing with this series is we're looking at perhaps one of the most famous stories of Jesus, and we're looking at five different characters in that story throughout the five weeks of this series. And this morning, we're actually looking at the main character. Week one, we looked at the expert in the law who really set the whole story up. Then last week, we looked at the priest and the Levite who did not respond well to the victim, to the man who was lying half dead on the side of the road. But in the story of the Good Samaritan, the, the main character is the Good Samaritan himself. And so that's the one that we're looking at today. That phrase, Good Samaritan, it certainly has a, a positive feel about it, doesn't it? It has a positive ring. Someone is a good Samaritan. We use that word in many different contexts. And so that, that it's almost like, of course, that's the person in the story who's going to respond well. That's the Samaritan. That's the good one in the story. But we have to realize that, that our familiarity with this story shapes our reading of it. Our familiarity with the concept of a Samaritan, from our perspective, shapes our reading of it. So we read it, and again, we think, well, the, it's the Samaritan. So of course, he's going to make good decisions. But what we need to understand is that this is a Jewish story. This is a Jewish story. It's a Jewish victim. It's a Jewish priest. It's a Jewish who asks the question. It's a Jewish rabbi who tells the story to a Jewish audience and to the Jewish people the Samaritan is the villain. He is the enemy that Jesus could have said. In our time, Jesus might say, a Nazi comes by and takes pity on the Jewish half-dead man lying on the side of the road. That's not an exaggeration because there were centuries of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Going back a little bit in, in history, to pack into the Jewish story that hundreds of years prior to Jesus, the Samaritans were part of this region north of Jerusalem, northern Israel, and it was taken over by the Assyrians. And when the Assyrians came in, the Samaritans, who were Jewish, they were part of the Jewish community. It was the north and the south, but the Samaritans were the north. They did not resist the Assyrians. And what they did is they... They completely surrendered to them and ended up intermarrying with the Assyrians. And they blended in the Assyrian worship and the Assyrian culture. And this was a major no-no for the Jewish people. And this is why the Jewish people referred to Samaritans as half-breeds. Because they surrendered their Jewish history, their Jewish culture. Years later, after the exile, 
when the Jewish people came back into the region, back into Jerusalem and et cetera, after many years of, of, of very difficult times for the Jewish people, they returned to the land and the Samaritans, the half-breeds to the north, they were saying, great, come on back and we wanna be a part of this and benefit from all that it means to be Jewish. And so the Jewish people are saying, absolutely not. You, you gave in to the Assyrians. You're no longer one of us. And the Samaritans were, were uh, uh, fighting against that. It wasn't just that the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans in return thought that the Jewish people were enemies. So there was tremendous animosity between these groups uh, uh, history of fighting back and forth between the Jews and the Samaritans. This is what we have to bring into the reading of this story, that the Samaritan isn't the good guy. The Samaritan is the villain. He's the enemy in this story, which I think stirs up a little bit here in this story beyond just this idea of being loving to our neighbors, but there is an issue in this story, an addressing of racism and prejudice because here are two groups now, two different uh, uh, ethnic groups now that are fighting against one another and making assumptions about one another. God has made us different. God has wonderfully, creatively made us different, different shapes and sizes and colors, and we have different strengths among us. And I think that within groups of people, there. There are tendencies sometimes that some people tend to have abilities that are stronger than other groups of people, and I think that can be celebrated as in our community, as, as a part of God's creation, that there are things that are different about us, and uh, for me, personally, I don't take offense to that. Sometimes people assume that all Canadian males are ruggedly handsome. That doesn't bother me. That doesn't hurt me in any way. And so uh, we have been made uh, different, and, uh, and God has beautifully made us um, uh, different. The, the issue is not when we look at each other as different. The issue is if we look at, some, if we look at ourselves as better. The, the differences are to be celebrated and enjoyed the problem is when I look at myself or when you look at yourself as better than someone else. That's when the racism and the prejudice kicks in. It's when a Samaritan says, I'm not gonna help you, I'm not gonna love you because I'm a Samaritan and you're Jewish. That's because of our history, because of our differences. I'm not gonna love on you, I'm not gonna help you. I'm not gonna help you because I have a white collar and you have a blue collar. I'm not gonna help you because I don't struggle with that thing that you struggle with and so therefore you come across to me as weak and so you have a problem that I just, I just look down upon. I'm better than you. That's where the problem kicks in. It's okay for us to celebrate our differences but not to look down as if we're better than somebody. Because the differences between us are teeny. Genetically, we are 99.9% .9 exactly the same. All of us. We all are broken. We are all in need of help. We, are all, we all have needs for one another. 
We all have areas where we are insecure. We all have areas where we feel confident that there's so much that we have in common as we do life together and interact with one another. The Samaritan, the villain in this story, he became a hero because he didn't see a Jewish man lying on the side of the road. He saw a human lying on the side of the road. And again, remember, the Samaritan saw, the Samaritan had as much hate for the Jewish people as the Jewish people did for Samaritans. And yet the Samaritan says, here's a human. And what we have in common is that we are both in need at times. And so he stepped in and he loved. He didn't see someone who was different and distant. He saw someone who was the same and lying right in front of him. And then he responds in a miraculous way, just in an an incredible way. The story we're looking at is Luke chapter 10, and today we're looking at three verses, verses 33 through 35. Luke 10, verses 33 through 35 is where we see the response of the Samaritan. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. Remember, when Jewish people hear or read this story, they instantly feel like it's the villain. A Samaritan, the opposite of a loving Jewish person, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Not only did the Samaritan not view himself as better than the Jewish person, but he literally elevated the Jewish person. He literally elevated the Jewish person up onto his donkey and said, you ride the donkey and I'll walk because you're the one in need. The story continues. Next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. He has an extraordinary response to this person in need. I mean, it is a beautiful unforgettable response. It's like the priest from Les Mis, if you're familiar with that story. Hey, wait a minute. You forgot the silver candlesticks as well. Just this this incredible offering of grace. What I want to do with the rest of our time here is I want to give the assignment for this week in one short sentence and kind of walk out what this sentence looks like and Just kind of resonate on this sentence a little bit. Here's the sentence for this week. Look for opportunities to be inconvenienced. As a neighbor, as you walk around, as you drive around, as you interact with people here in your community, look for opportunities to be inconvenienced. Look for them. Notice the people. Notice the opportunities around you. The priest and the Levite that we looked at last week, they stepped to the other side of the road and they completely avoided the situation. They did not embrace and enter into the opportunity that was laid before them. The Samaritan, of course, did not respond that way. It says there in verse 33 that he took pity on the Jewish person. He took pity on him. Now, I... Personally, I don't like that word. Uh, I don't like the word pity. I think in our, in our modern culture, pity is condescending and kind of negative. Very few people want to be pitied. 
Very few people want that to be the response towards them. And so I looked into this word a little bit, and uh, Jesus didn't actually use the noun pity, that it is a phrase that, uh, that we use in English to represent a verb that we don't have in English. And the phrase that the attempt to translate the word is to have pity on someone, to have pity on, it's this verb phrase, it's not the noun pity, it's this concept of having, of having pity on that is better translated with the idea of showing kindness, actively showing kindness to someone who does not deserve it and cannot repay it. Now that I like. Okay, that's way better than the idea of pity, right? Showing, actively showing kindness to someone who does not deserve it and cannot repay it. That's what the Samaritan is doing. Just this beautiful picture of the love of the Samaritan. It is an action. It is active love. It's not just looking at the person in need and saying, wow, man, sucks to be you. Pardon, pardon my French there, but, but it's not just feeling like, oh, that must be bad for you, but actually being moved by compassion to do something about it. Last week, the question was, do you care? Is your heart stirred? Do you care about somebody? But then this week, the, the, the transition is to action. Do you care enough to be inconvenienced? Do you care enough to do something about it? Look for opportunities to be inconvenienced. And the opportunities are all around us. People in need are the opportunities. They're not a burden. They're not a distraction from the important things that God has for you to do. They are the important things that God has for you to do. I mean, they, they, they are the things that God invites you to. And you don't need to look that hard for them. You don't need to search for them. It's just a matter of noticing the opportunities around you because there are plenty of them. It's a matter of responding to the opportunities, not trying to create them. What I mean by this is don't target your neighbor, all right? Don't sit and, and decide, I'm going to fix Mr. McGillicuddy. Yeah, you know, just to say, I'm, I'm, I gotta save that one. I wanna watch, you know, I, I'm going to fix that person. Don't target someone. No one wants to be targeted. No one wants to be someone else's project. Have you ever been invited over for dinner to someone's house and it felt at first that they were interested in you and they wanted to make dinner for you and spend some time with you and then somewhere near the end of the meal you realize that they, they transitioned the conversation to a sales job and they wanted to sell you something or they wanted you to host a party or they wanted some, some miraculous pills that they think you, have you ever been a part of a situation? Some of you are smiling because you've been there or you've felt that. that. That whole idea of, I thought you actually cared about me. No one wants to be someone else's project. I remember being in a situation like that and just feeling so, like I wanted to shower. I wanted to kind of wash it off. It was just, it was just uh, very unpleasant. The Samaritan, he's, he's not looking for a Jewish person to fix. He's just going about his life. And here is a human in need who's different than him. 
and he responds to it in a loving way. And make no mistake, it was an inconvenience to him. I don't know which direction the Samaritan was going. I don't know what the Samaritan was involved with on that day, but he got off his donkey. And I mean, look again at the details here in these verses. He, he takes care of him on the side of the road, does some, some quick bandaging and loving and caring on the side of the road, then puts him up on his own donkey, takes him to the inn, and who knows what direction the inn was in or how far of a journey that was or how far off of the Samaritan's journey that was, how much of an inconvenience that was for him. Pays for him to stay at the inn, says, take care of him, whatever it takes, I'll come back and I'll square up the bill. I'll pay for it. I believe, and this is consistent with elsewhere in scripture, I believe Jesus wants to tell us in this story, this is what money is for. If you have money, this is what money is for. Because many of us, myself included, we forget that this is what money is for. And we think so often that money is for us to do the things that we wanna do, that my money is for me. I'm the one who made my money, I, I found it, I inherited it, I worked for it, whatever the situation was. I have access to the money, I have control over this money. I will give generously to, uh, to a tithe or whatever that might looks like, but, uh, but that's my money. It's mine, so I'm gonna use that to set up my budget to pay for the things that I want so that I can keep up with the Joneses, so that I can keep up with my neighbors. And I think there's a challenge on all of this to say, you know, anything that we have is a gift from God. Every shirt we own, every mile we drive in our car, every minute in our homes is a gift from God. And I think God wants to say to us, this is what money is for, is for you to love your neighbor, is for you to be available at any moment, to be inconvenienced to love your neighbor. This is uh, you know, it can show up in a, in a number of different ways for us to, to use our resources to, this is what money is for. This is what your home is for. This is what your second home is for, to be a blessing for others. Look for opportunities to be inconvenienced. I have been to the new version of York, and the new version of Jersey. But I've never been to the new version of England. I've never been to the Northeastern states. I know a number of you have, but I've never been up there. Apparently in Massachusetts, on Nantucket Island, there's a museum for an organization called the Humane Society, the Massachusetts Humane Society, which is different than the organization that protects animals than the SPCA and all, all that journey. It is called the Humane Society. Their focus is not on protecting animals. Their focus has been on protecting humanes, humans. I don't know what the difference between a humane and a human is, but it's some, there's something in there. They're connected somehow deeply. But the Massachusetts Humane Society is a volunteer organization that is 300 years old. And their purpose was 
to be in the life-saving business because in the Northeast states, many people were dying off the coast of New England. That it, in the 1700s, it was a very dangerous place for boats to come in because the storms were strong and the shores were very rocky. And they just got sick and tired of people dying within a mile of their shore. That people were dying on a regular basis, just, out, just outside, within view of them standing on the shore. So in the 1700s, they started an organization and they set up huts of refuge along the coast on the, uh, the island of Nantucket. Huts of refuge where volunteers were trained and ready to sit in these huts, to stand in these huts, to have their, their um, uh, session where they would have to be in these huts and they would look out for a boat or a person in need. And then, again, they're trained and ready to gather up and go and do what they could to help these folks. Volunteers. They had a motto because it was a very dangerous job, and the motto was this. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. How's that for an inspiring recruiting slogan? How effective would that be if we went to our high schools and told the parents, there's the motto of our organization, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. But this is what they did. They risked their lives for strangers in need on a regular basis. Some of them gave their lives to help out those in need. In the 20th century, around 1915, the Coast Guard developed. And so the Coast Guard was, for a time, teaming up with the Massachusetts Humane Society and watching out this coast and taking care of people who were in need along the coast. And after a while, the Humane Society said, well, why are we still doing it? Let's let the professionals do it. They're the ones who are getting paid for it now. Why would we continue to do this? And so the Coast Guard eventually took over that responsibility. The Humane Society still gets together on a regular basis, and they celebrate their history, and they tell stories, and they give out service awards to people who have done sacrificial things for other people, and they celebrate good things that are being done, and they love to get together and, 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 and be together, but they are no longer in the life-saving business. What if the church over the past 2,000 years has made a similar transition? What if the church originally was in the life-saving business, was a group of people, followers of Jesus, who said, I will give my life for this cause. I will give my life to love others, to serve others, to tell them about Jesus. I'm, I'm willing to give my life, and many of them did. Most of the disciples ended up giving their lives for the cause, for this sake. At the beginning, in the first century, it was, it was a radical movement that said, I have to go out and tell people about Jesus, but I don't have to come back. It was a group of people saying, I'm, I'm gonna love this enemy who's lying half dead on the side of the road and be incredibly inconvenienced. Th this is the kind of people that started a movement that changed the world. What if over the past 2,000 years, somehow we have shifted, we as a church, you and me, 
We have shifted to become an organization that enjoys getting together and enjoys celebrating our history and the radical history that our movement has had and celebrating the amazing teach teachings of Jesus, but that we have moved to becoming a, an organization that says, let the professionals do it. Let the professionals be the ones to go out and reach people for Jesus. They're paid for it. What if instead of that, we were supposed to continue to be an organization that is in the life-saving business? That we gather together to worship and celebrate and be reminded and be inspired and challenged and encouraged so that we can go out and love our neighbors in radical ways, not targeting them, but just loving them. Are you interested in being a part of a movement like that? Are you willing to be part of a movement that is still in the life-saving business? If so, then look for opportunities to be inconvenienced. You, not that other person who's a serious follower of Jesus, not that other person who's a professional follower of Jesus, but you, you have access to people I will never have access to. So love on them. That might mean hosting a party at your house and being inconvenienced by time or resources to, ho to have something like that and, and just getting people together and name tags and getting to know one another and loving on people in that way. That might mean giving your um, your contacts to someone who's new in your neighborhood, your list of uh, pool company and lawn company and a plumber and electrician, you know that list that it take you 20 years to build up and you protect it because it's precious. That list that you have, but you give, actually give that to your neighbor and say, hey, here's a place for you to start. Let me know if there's anything else I can do to help. What if that means us getting over that discomfort, that inconvenience, and inviting people to something meaningful. Here at church, perhaps, the re-engaged journey for helping couples, or the recovery journey on Tuesday nights for men and for women, or Sunday morning, whatever that experience might be for you, whatever you think would be a meaningful experience for people that you care about. May we move from just caring to caring and doing something about it. Look for opportunities. And I think if we're looking for opportunities and praying for opportunities, God will provide them. We might be inconvenienced, but we get to, part of, we get to be a part of God's movement, which is very exciting. Very exciting. I wanna pray with you and then I'll let you go here today. Would you bow your heads? Father, I know that some here in this room are um, perhaps not there yet, not, not ready to sign up for a movement that says we need to go out, but we don't need to come back, and that's okay. I pray that at least there is an excitement about the idea of a movement that loves people that radically. I pray for all in this room who perhaps have, are dormant in their journey with you, that this might be the kind of thing that, that moves us into a new place of excitement in our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would provide opportunities this week and that we would be bold enough 
to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced by them. So God, I pray a blessing on all neighborhoods represented here and may you shine brightly as a result of this amazing story. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.